It was April 1st, 2016. Mayor Francis Lay stood at the podium in room 200 of City Hall, surrounded by a U.S. senator, two congressmen, Missouri's governor, aldermen, and lots and lots of city officials. They were all in a celebratory mood, but especially the mayor. Yesterday was, without question, one of the best phone calls I've ever received as mayor. And NGA director Robert Cardillo told me that St. Louis is the preferred site for a $1.75 billion state-of-the-art intelligence campus in North St. Louis. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency's new facility was the largest single project St. Louis had ever landed. And the Slay administration viewed it as a game changer. After all, 3,100 jobs now in South St. Louis could have gone across the river to Illinois. And then, within the week, Mayor Slay shocked everyone and announced he would not seek a fifth term. This is The Millennium Mayor, an exploration of Mayor Francis Slay's legacy in St. Louis. I'm your host, Rachel Lipman. And I'm being joined now by St. Louis Public Radio's business and development reporter, Maria Altman, to help understand the answer to this question. Was keeping the NGA Mayor Slay's mic drop? Yes, but not everyone sees it as that big of a deal, including St. Louis University urban planning professor Sarah Coffin. Overall, is it a win? Well, I think it's a save more than a win. Oh, it is definitely a huge win. That's Barb Geisman, who served as the mayor's executive director for development for nine years. She says it's about more than keeping 3,000 highly paid jobs or their earnings taxes or even buying power. It also has the potential to become a magnet for uh, technology companies, technology workers, provide job opportunities for kids in the city who are interested in, you know, all that technology stuff. So those are really different views of this massive project. And I think that's also true of the view of Mayor Slay's legacy. On one side, some say the mayor seized opportunities as they came along with a very pragmatic approach and focused on core projects that helped stabilize the city. The other view is that he lacked a plan or even a vision for what the city could be and instead let developers lead the way. And we're going to touch on those themes and how they're reflected in three big developments that took place over the last 16 years. But first, Maria, take us back to 2001. It's early days in the new millennium. That's St. Louis's own Nelly with Ride With Me, released in April 2001, the same month Mayor Slay first took office in room 200 of City Hall. Okay, there's no way that song is that old. It is. Oh, geez. St. Louis had a native sun flying high on the billboard, but things in the city were much more grounded. American Airlines had announced a few months before that it would buy TWA. Nestle planned to buy Ralston Perina. U.S. Census statistics were released just weeks before Slay took office. They showed more than 48,000 residents left the city between 1990 and 2000. That's 12 percent of the city's population. Was he looking at any good news? Yeah, things on Washington Avenue and downtown were beginning to take shape. Investors were interested in turning old warehouses into lofts. 
Mayor Slay jumped right in and got streetscaping projects underway and made sure there were tax incentives to help developers get their projects off the ground. How big of a deal was this really, though? Well, Washington Avenue is sort of the front door to St. Louis, especially with the convention center near it. So it mattered. All right. So what else is going on in 2001? Well, the Cardinals wanted a new $370 million stadium. That sounds like it should have been good news for downtown, right? Yes and no. It was good in that the team was proposing a six-block business and entertainment district in addition to a new stadium, but the Cardinals wanted a lot of public funding for the stadium, and they made it clear that if the city didn't play ball, they'd leave. Oh boy, the perennial public funding for professional sports teams debate. Mm -hmm. And right off the bat, there were questions over who was going to benefit, downtown versus the whole city. You can hear those concerns when the mayor appeared on our own St. Louis on the Air back in August of 2001 with then-host Greg Freeman. So we're talking with the mayor about his accomplishments and his challenges, and we're inviting you to join us as well with your questions or comments. Let's go to the phones and talk to Dave, joining us from North St. Louis. Dave told the mayor that if he were the owner of the Cardinals, he'd think Mayor Slay was great. But for those living on the north side, they were still waiting for a home run. They got the stake. It seemed to me that the other people, North St. Louis, other people so far, we're getting a little sizzle. Do you think that as the time go on, we can look forward to a little more, something coming out or over this way in St. Louis, as far, I mean, in North Side as far as improvements or block grant money or something like that? Uh, first of all, on the Cardinals issue, I mean, that's so important for the entire issue uh, city because what it does is it brings a lot of tax revenues into the city, a lot of people spending money and, and brings jobs to the city which does benefit, I think, the entire city. It provides jobs for the people who live in the city of St. Louis and also provides a tax base so that we can do the things that we need to do in the neighborhoods. You heard the mayor lay out the argument that keeping the Cardinals would help the entire city. So did it work? Did the Cardinals get the public funding? Well, they got help from the state, St. Louis County, and the city, but not nearly what they'd asked for. The city's funding was not up front, but it let the Cardinals keep the tax revenue from tickets sold at the ballpark. Barb Geisman says the mayor helped lead that compromise with the Cardinals, and he protected the city from a potentially huge loss. She says the Cardinals' threat to skip town for Illinois or St. Charles County was real. If the Cardinals had left, um, I think a lot of businesses would have followed. The Cardinals' new stadium opened in 2006. They won the World Series that year, too, right? Yep, and in their brand-new ballpark. Three years later, St. Louis played host to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. So whatever ended up happening with that business district, was that up in time for this big national event in the city? Well, it had a name by then, Ballpark Village. But while the Cardinals had promised it would be done by the All-Star Game, it wasn't. In fact, former St. Louis public radio reporter Adam Allington gave a great description of what it looked like back in the summer of 2009. If you stand next to Bush Stadium and look out at the future site of Ballpark Village, you'll see a freshly paved parking lot and brand new softball diamond. It's a temporary fix to what had been a gaping hole in the ground just several months ago. I think they called that hole Lake DeWitt for Cardinals owner Bill DeWitt because it was just like this gigantic hole in the ground with rainwater in it. Yeah, not exactly what you want your name on. And it put Mayor Slay on the defensive a bit, too. Here he is in 2009 on St. Louis on the Air with host Don Marsh. A lot of people are calling the ballpark village situation an embarrassment to the city. Do you think it is? No. Uh, It's certainly a very big disappointment thus far. And let me tell you uh, why why it is where it is and why it took so long. And this is something a lot of people don't know. Uh, The reason this project took so long is because I stood firm 
that the city would not put any direct dollars into this ballpark and that the city would not back up the bonds. The mayor is pointing out that he didn't put the city on the hook for the bonds. Meaning basically that if this development ended up not working out, the city wasn't out any money. Right. And to be fair, a lot happened that was outside of the mayor's control. Back in 2007, Centene, the big healthcare company, announced it would move its headquarters from Clayton into Ballpark Village. But Centene, the developer Cordish, and the Cardinals couldn't make it work, and the deal imploded a few months later. And then the Great Recession hit, and lots of development stopped. But hold on a second, though. There's something on Clark Avenue across from the stadium. So, like, is Ballpark Village there now? It is. The Cardinals and Cordish finally lined up their funding in 2012, and the $100 million development opened in 2014 as a sports bar complex. That doesn't quite sound like the six-block business and entertainment district. Not quite. But Ballpark Village has done well. Barb Geisman says it's brought new people to downtown. That younger crowd really loves Ballpark Village, and I think attracting them to downtown St. Louis is, is something we need to do. But there's also an argument that it's drawn traffic away from other parts of the city. Here again is urban planner Sarah Coffin. Yes, on one level, it brought more people downtown. But when you think about what kind of activity it's generated, it's not generated activity that's spinoff, that, that where there's any spinoff, because everybody stays inside the mall and they don't leave it. And so how does that benefit the rest of the city? The next phase of Ballpark Village will get underway this year, and that's more than bars. It includes a 29-story high-rise, retail, and new office space. Do we need office space downtown? Well, it will be the first new high-quality office space, what they call Class A, built since 1987. And Barb Geisman says vacancy rates are pretty high in downtown, but this will kickstart interest. And more workers in downtown is something that everyone seems to want. So that's got me wondering a little bit about job numbers under Slay. How did the city do? The Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that all of St. Louis lost about 20,000 jobs between 2000 and 2015, so roughly the time span of Mayor Slay's four terms. Ooh, wow, that's not good. Yeah, but there's a lot the mayor can't control. There were a ton of mergers and acquisitions going on. May Department Stores bought Federated in 2005. Wachovia took over A.G. Edwards in 2007. And then Wells Fargo bought Wachovia, right? Right. And then the biggie. InBev bought Anheuser-Busch in 2008. And there's nothing the mayor can really do about all of that. Yeah. And I would say there was a real shift in how the mayor's administration talked about economic development around that time, from just attracting and keeping big businesses to figuring out how to grow new companies. In other words, entrepreneurism. Yes. And you can hear that in Mayor Slay's 2007 State of the City Address to the Board of Aldermen. Our city, like the entire St. Louis region, has been jolted by mergers, acquisitions, and business upheaval. We have made up for those job losses by attracting new jobs to St. Louis, but simply replacing the old jobs, the lost jobs, with new ones isn't good enough. We want to grow our jobs. So I've asked Barbara Geisman, the Director of Development and her team, to step up the efforts to attract good jobs to our city, creating a climate for new entrepreneurs. That work to create a climate for entrepreneurs was well underway in a 200-acre innovation district called Cortex. Five years earlier, Wash U, SLU, UMSL, BJC Healthcare, and the Missouri Botanical Garden had created the district in an effort to help turn research into viable businesses. 
I didn't hear the mayor's name in that alphabet soup. What was his role? Well, the city helped by giving the district the power to use eminent domain and tax incentives. Hank Weber, the chairman of the Cortex board, says Mayor Slay understood it's about creating a center for the new economy. As we all know, St. Louis, like all major Midwestern cities, has struggled with the transition from an old economy to a new economy. And Francis was one of the people who early understood that with our research base in the region, with the institutions we have here, there was the potential to become a leader in the new economy. And he's been a great partner. I spoke with Weber earlier this spring at an event where Microsoft announced it would open a new regional headquarters and technology center in Cortex with 150 jobs. How big of a deal is that really? Well, Microsoft is a major technology company that could attract others. I mean, right now there are 250 companies with about 4,200 employees in Cortex. But the plan is to eventually have 15,000 people working in the district. So jobs. High-paying jobs. And that means tax revenue for the city. Yes. And some people, including Denny Coleman, think it's really pushing development to neighborhoods around Cortex as well. Coleman was a top development official in both St. Louis County and the city, and he calls it the halo effect. You have great strength now at the Cortex area, the Central Corridor. You can begin to to contemplate, and we've already seen it start to happen, with more and more building both to the north and to the south, and a lot more interest on the part of developers and institutions and uh, investors looking at developments in, in North City. Because you now have a strong central corridor anchor, and Cortex is providing that. An example of that growth is in the Grove, just to the south of Cortex, which has seen a lot of investment over the last decade. So, I mean, I guess the question is, is this idea of a strong central corridor Is that really helping everyone? Well, that's a big debate in the city. We reached out to city residents using our public insight network, and several had pretty strong feelings on this. Justin Eidelberg is a North City resident who says Cortex is a great district, but he's still waiting for some of that development to reach his neighborhood. I asked him if the West End, where he lives, looks different today than it did in 2001 when the mayor first took office. Yeah, it does look different 16 years ago. A lot more buildings have fallen down and have been torn down. A lot more lives have been lost. No progress. Holy cow, those are some pretty strong words he's using. Yep, and it's something I've heard repeatedly, that Mayor Slay and his administration paid too much attention to the Central Corridor at the expense of the neighborhoods. And that was backed up somewhat by a 2016 study commissioned by the city that looked at St. Louis's tax incentive use over the past 15 years. Urban planner Sarah Coffin worked on that study. She says the Slay administration did a good job using tax incentives creatively, especially early on in downtown and through the Central Corridor. But she says they didn't know when to back away and concentrate on other areas. And so now, and not that you can, you know, go up and debate in a neighborhood and say, okay, we're going to put us TIF and just create some arbitrary boundaries. That's not going to create development. We know that. But how can you use the TIF tool creatively to incent development in one area and maybe incent the developer then, if they can get development in a particular area, maybe you can incent them to then make certain kinds of investments in other areas. Barb Geisman says it's more complicated than that. She says just offering up a tax incentive doesn't diminish the risk for developers to come into areas where little else is happening. So I think that there are ways that the city can enhance their level of comfort with areas that have seen a lot of disinvestment, 
but incentives alone are not going to do it. Okay, so what does Geisman think it does take? Well, she talked about how they use federal block grant money for major initiatives and tried to create anchors for each neighborhood to give residents something to rally around. Preservationist and local historian Michael Allen says the city did help neighborhoods by working for historic district designations and fighting for state redevelopment tax credits. And he says neighborhood business districts are doing well. And yet he's not sure that's due to Mayor Slay. You know, the causation, I don't know, the mayor's office has a small role in that story, but they might be in the process in as much as they enable it. They don't say no to it, Um, but they didn't cause it to happen. Okay, but like realistically in North St. Louis, there's been so much disinvestment in those neighborhoods. How much of a difference can an acre in each neighborhood really make? Well, that's an interesting question. Back in 2001, when Mayor Slay first appeared on St. Louis on the Air, remember that question from Dave? Yeah, he was the guy who talked about the Cardinals getting the steak while the North Side was getting the sizzle. Right. So here is what the mayor had to say to Dave about the North Side. You know, in North St. Louis, uh, I look at North St. Louis, uh, particularly large portions of it uh, that, that, that have the biggest challenges as areas of the most uh, of the most uh, opportunity. So that kind of sounds like the mayor might have had something in mind, something up his sleeve. Well, I think he knew that there was one particular person who saw the north side as a big opportunity. In 2003, suburban developer Paul McKee started buying up lots of property. This wasn't something, if I remember, that was really announced publicly, was it? No, it really wasn't. It was pretty much a mystery until preservationist Michael Allen put the puzzle pieces together and pointed out it was McKee. And so when he was asked, what did McKee say he was planning to do with the land? Well, he didn't say anything publicly for years. It wasn't until 2009 that he revealed Northside Regeneration, a project covering two square miles. So the transformation that we want to talk about with you and dialogue about is we believe the north side is the gateway to the future of greatness of the city. He promised 20,000 jobs, housing, and schools, and got big support from Mayor Slay. What kind? Well, in 2009, the mayor signed the largest incentive package ever approved in the city, $390 million in tax increment financing. Here's the mayor talking about Paul McKee in 2009 and St. Louis on the Air. I will tell you that what he's doing is putting together, an, uh, he, wants to, uh, he wants to assemble enough parcels so he can put together a, 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 a community, a mixed income community that will include housing, re- rehab of his existing building, businesses, schools, parks, so that we can take a, a neighborhoods that have been all but abandoned and bring them back to life and bring new people into the city of St. Louis and provide opportunities that those neighborhoods haven't seen in a long, long time. I support that effort. So you're driving through this two square miles in North City. What's happening there? What do you see? Well, so far, McKee's vision hasn't materialized. Do we have any idea why not? Well, again, there were forces outside of the city or McKee's control. A couple of lawsuits over state and city tax incentives slowed things down. And again, the Great Recession. But McKee kept buying more land, including 1,200 parcels he bought from the city in 2012. And then the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency began looking for land to put its new facility. What does that have to do with Paul McKee? Well, it was McKee, not the city, that answered the request for proposals from the NGA. The city got involved and, in order to woo the federal agency, ended up having to buy land from McKee for more than half the parcels in the proposed site. So hang on. This is land that the city is buying back from McKee. Right. And the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has reported the city paid $12 million to buy it back. 
Sarah Coffin sees this as the crux of Mayor Slay's lack of vision. She says it should have been the city leading the charge in Northside, not McKee. If we as a, as a, a city really fully understood the needs of our employers, our firms, and NGA in the economic development speak is a firm, and we would anticipate some of their needs. And so if and they were making noises and talking about how they were outgrowing their space many years ago, several years ago. At that time, we should have been actively looking at our available land and anticipating that need. City officials have repeatedly said the developer paved the way for the NGA by assembling all that land. And remember Barb Geisman talking about the anchors? In fact, she thinks the NGA will be the anchor that Northside needs to attract more development. Denny Coleman, that former development official we talked to earlier, agrees. He says the NGA could be a catalyst for both commercial and residential development. So if those developments are done correctly, it could pave the way for for quite a bit of investment occurring on the near north side. Is there other development going on in that area right now other than the NGA? Well, Paul McKee has finally started a project, a gas station and grocery store at 13th and Tucker Avenue. And he's planning an urgent care facility in a sort of health care campus right across from where the NGA will go. But it's really going to be a while before we see what the NGA is going to mean for North City, right? Right. The NGA won't start building until next year, and it isn't expected to move in until 2023. So it will be under the next mayor or even the mayor after that. Okay, so Maria, when you did all of your reporting, what was the conclusion? After 16 years... What do you think is Mayor Slay's legacy in economic development? Well, again, it depends on who you talk to. But Barb Geisman, who spent nearly a decade working for the mayor, has a really close-up view on how he handled it. She says Mayor Slay was able to make decisions and stick with them, and even when he got pushback. Geisman says before Slay became mayor, developers dealt with a constantly shifting landscape at City Hall. And without that platform, economic development's not going to happen because People aren't going to commit to bring a business to the city or to stay in the city if they don't think they can rely on the CEO. So So stability. Stability was very important. She says having a steady hand at the helm made a big difference in St. Louis. Well, how about Sarah Coffin? She was pretty critical of the mayor. Yeah, she was. And since she's a professor, I asked her to give the mayor a grade. Well, what'd he get? He got a B plus. Really? I was kind of surprised, too. He did okay. He did. Because not many mayors can manage the challenges of a post-industrial city. Manufacturing's gone and infrastructure's crumbling because we're an old city. And that has a whole new layer of challenges that go along with it. Challenges that will be faced by the next mayor. And we'll talk about those and the other issues Slay's successor will deal with next time on The Millennium Mayor. Check out our awesome web build out at stlpublicradio.org slash millennium mayor.